1: Emotet was first discovered in the world in 2014, and originally it was
0: a classic banking trojan. That's Alex Holland. He's a malware analyst at Bromium. The research we're discussing today is titled Emotet – A Technical Analysis of the Destructive Polymorphic Malware. Interestingly,
1: from 2017 onwards, we noticed that it began distributing other families of malware. What we think is interesting about Emotet is that the change in its tactics, techniques and procedures perhaps reflects its change in business model. And it's building upon some research from the UK's National Cyber Security Centre. What they did in 2017 uh, was put together a business model for a, tip- a typical banking Trojan operation. That was appropriate for that time and it's really excellent. I encourage people to go out and read it to understand all all the actors involved in uh, a banking Trojan operation. But what we've done here is that we've actually updated that business model to account for malware as a service. And what we mean by that is different actors, different groups collaborating with one another so, just as we've seen Emitet stop using its own homegrown uh, banking Trojan module and seen um, it distributing other families of malware, we're saying that this is indicative of a new type of malware as a distribution business model.
0: Well, so let's go through some of Emotet's capabilities. Uh, Why don't we start out when when Emotet first came on the scene, which was, uh, I believe, back in 2014, what sort of capabilities did it have and and what did it seem to be up to? Uh, You kind of standard banking Trojan
1: activity. So typically what would happen is that you would have a man in the browser attack. So Emotet would intercept uh, a victim's browsing session, and then inject um, HTML um, in order to steal funds from targeted banks. So originally we saw Emetet target Swiss and German banks, and then that later expanded out to other regions.
0: And so with this shift to being more of a malware-as-a-service business model, uh, has the the targeting broadened? Yeah, definitely. Um, We've seen Emotet definitely develop from
1: being targeted to specific customers, uh, customers of specific banks, to uh, mass malicious spam campaigns, uh, but are broadly targeted to businesses rather than
0: individuals, but are across different verticals. So let's run through some of its current capabilities there. What sorts of things is Emotet capable of? Um, It can brute force uh, weak passwords. It has a built-in password
1: list in a a dictionary. Um, It also uses third-party tools to recover uh, credentials from web browsers, email clients, network credentials as well. It also uh, has a great deal of capability in terms of stealing email address books. And this is kind of crucial to um, how it's so effective at phishing. So as Webber's well as email addresses, it also has begun to steal the email body content and that allows it to construct more uh, plausible and convincing phishing lures. And is that happening in an automated way? Yes, yes. So it's happening in an automated way. So typically uh, a user will receive a reply from an email address that they think they've previously had a conversation with, and so there's an inherent trust in that I've already spoken to the, to this person, hmm. and um, combined with you know a generic message about an invoice that hasn't been paid, it could cause um, a, say a business uh, to click on that link and trigger the first stage of the imitate infection chain. Hmm.
0: Well, we're going to walk through uh, the various uh, steps of that infection chain, but before we do, let's go through some of the capabilities that Emotet has in terms of its anti-analysis features. What's going on there?
1: Yes, yeah, so Emotet is polymorphic in nature in that the packer that's used to uh, obfuscate the, the Trojan uh, changes each time it, it, it's used. So it's actually quite difficult to write a generic signature for the Trojan because of the way it's packed. The research we've done has uncovered some, what we think are quite high fidelity uh, indicators to detect the use of Emetet's packer. Um, And we can go more into that later about its use of particular uh, APIs. And um, in fact, kind of nonsensical API calls. Hmm. Uh, which kind of give it away. Imitet's developers have really put in a lot of effort to encrypt and hide uh, the true nature of of the Trojan. Um, And I think that's testament to the amount of money and uh, time that's been uh, spent on this project. So, for example, its imports and function names are encrypted, which is a, a fairly standard obfuscation technique for malware. It also has a multi-stage initialization procedure whereby one Emotet process will actually inject itself into another, but in a different region of memory. Um, And finally, of course, the C2 channel is encrypted. um, And we've seen a development over time in that capability. So originally Emotet used fairly basic RC4 encryption, a a type of symmetric key encryption. Uh, But now Emotet uses AES combined with RSA encryption, which is much more difficult to uh, intercept.
0: Well, let's walk through uh, the the life cycle of an infection together. Um, How does it begin? How am I likely to find myself infected with Emotet?
1: Yeah, so uh, Emotet arrives as um, Hyperlinks uh, linking to uh, malicious documents, or uh, as attachments to emails. We've seen different types of document uh, downloaders used for Emotet. Uh, the most common being Microsoft Word 2003 documents, uh, but we've also seen JavaScript, XML uh, document formats, and uh, PDFs.
0: You download a document and and it's typically something that's in a Microsoft Word format and, and then there's a little bit of, uh, I, I don't know, social engineering or or they influence you to enable uh, the ability to run macros. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, so this is a really common conceit used by malware to trick users into running VBA macros, uh, Visual Basics Application macros. Typically, your downloader will be commodity malware used by a wide range of threat actors. Hematet have made the phishing look as generic as possible so that they can target as wide as possible uh, audience here. Mm. So they use, typically it's a generic kind of banner that says that you you can't view this version of uh, this document. And then they prompt the user to enable macros.
0: So really taking taking um, advantage of the user's curiosity in a very sort of benign way.
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's the phishing emails will prompt the user to actually open the attachment because uh, normally the, the phishing lure itself will be, this is an invoice or a compensation claim, something vaguely financial uh, that might spark the interest of uh, somebody
0: so they trick you into enabling the execution of a VBA macro what happens next
1: yeah so at this stage this is a straightforward downloader and so the simple purpose of the downloader is to uh, downloading uh, the the main em um, payload um, and to bypass detection the downloader uses a very various obfuscation techniques so String, concatenation, um, ultimately to hide its intent. And then it uh, it
0: runs something in PowerShell?
1: Yeah, that's that's right. So again, this is a, a common way for malware to actually download payloads by using uh, PowerShell's uh, web APIs.
0: And there's some, some obfuscation going on there as well.
1: That's right. So typically uh, we see, you know,
0: Base64 and Compression. Uh, used. And so at this point, now we're actually getting to the point of downloading the Emotet loader itself.
1: Yeah, so this is really when it where it gets interesting and sets Emotet apart. I think one of the things which benefits Emotet is that the phishing campaigns are so high volume and so far-reaching that they get a good infection rate from that. They're not necessarily the most clever in terms of using sophisticated downloaders, I think they're relying on scale to um, infect as many machines as possible.
0: And so can you walk us through what what sort of functionality the loader has itself or what, it, what it's up to?
1: Yeah, sure. So it has a fairly complex uh, initialization process. So, for example, it will launch a child process of itself and then it will do that by uh, using the Windows service api and then it will actually register itself as a service and um it will then at a high level connect back to the c2 and start sending uh reconnaissance data information about the machine
0: now there's some interesting things going on with the packer itself i mean the the packer there are things about the packer that allow you to come to a conclusion as to what it's up to? Like most packed samples of
1: malware, um, when you look at a regular portable executable file, it conforms to certain expectations and characteristics, uh, whereas a packed uh, executable will look different. So the most basic example would be the use of encrypted data will
0: impact the entropy of the different sections in that PE file. I see. So let's move on to the uh, unpacking and initialization procedure. Um, walk us through what goes on there. When we were looking at the
1: packer, we noticed that early on during the packer decryption process, there's a check for a specific registry key, and it's done via a call to Reg open key A. and we found that if the key does not exist on the system, then the malware either terminates itself or enters
0: an infinite loop. And is that a, an error in the coding? I mean, is that intentional? What do you think's going on there? We actually think it's a deliberate check in,
1: in the packing code. Now, the, we're not sure why exactly it's there, but we know that um, it's a, it's a useful indicator for network defenders to know about.
0: So can you give us a, a bit of an overview of, of what's going on in terms of, of how it's uh, injecting itself into different memory spaces and and those sorts of things?
1: It does two things. The first thing it does is that it creates this child process, another Emotech process, and then it injects itself into that process, and then it resolves a number of API names that it, it can then use. And interestingly, after that, it makes a get proc address call for an invalid function name. That is to say, it tries to resolve a function that doesn't exist. And uh, this was really interesting to us because again, it, the it looks like it could be a coding error, but the string is unique enough that we feel it can be used as quite a high fidelity indicator for network defenders.
0: Yeah, I mean it's interesting too. Given the, I guess it's fair to say the overall sophistication of of everything that's going on here. If it is a coding error, it, you know, it sort of shows that uh, even at that level of sophistication, mistakes are still made.
1: Yeah, it it could be it could be a coding error, or it might just be um, something we don't understand about how EMATET is coded. Mm. Um, I'm also open to that possibility, but we we can definitely use this as an indicator that Emetet is initializing. So, so far we have two high fidelity indicators. We have one based in the packer. so We know it makes a registry check for quite a specific registry key that if we can monitor or even block access to, we can either detect Emetet's packer or we can even stop it from even unpacking. And then the second is this one, which is a get proc address call for an invalid function name, which detects Emotet further down the line during its initialization process. If, for example, in your enterprise you're monitoring API calls, uh, then you can create a, a rule to detect this particular API call.
0: So once we get through this whole process of Emotet uh, installing itself, getting itself up and running, Um, what is the ultimate functionality here? What's going on on my system when a fully functional running copy of Emotet is is having at it?
1: So there are a few things here. Back in 2014, when we saw Emotet being used as banking Trojan, it's at this point you would see man in the browser type attacks coming from Emotet. Hmm. Uh, But since about 2017, where Emotet has been delivering other families of malware, we actually see Emotet being used not as a banking Trojan, but as a loader. So um, in campaigns in early 2019, up until Emotet went quiet in June, we saw a very standard infection chain of Emotet delivering TrickBots, which then might deliver Riot ransomware.
0: And so, really, the the folks who are engaging with um, the people running Emotet, they can choose to have it install whatever they want.
1: Yeah, so this is an open question about Emotet's business model. Because we saw this change in tactics, techniques, and procedures from Emotet in 2014 to Emotet today, we think that this could give an insight into their business model now. So rather than directly monetize stolen financial information, it could be that Emotet are making money or the operators of Emotet are making money by setting access to their botnet to other malware uh, operators. In effect, they're acting as a malware distributor in this wider malware as a service ecosystem.
0: Yeah, That's an interesting shift. Now, in terms of uh, your advice for folks protecting themselves against this, and we've, we've talked about some of the indicators, uh, can you sort of uh, run through and review what uh, the conclusions are here in, in your research? There are a few ways that uh,
1: enterprises can defend themselves. I think the simplest way would be to lock down your use of commonly abused tools, so PowerShell and BBA macros in Microsoft Office. So Microsoft supply group policy templates, which you can configure. um, And I know the the Australian National Cybersecurity Centre also has some great uh, advice on configuring those templates. That would be my my first point of advice. Hmm. For enterprises that want to do a better job at detecting hemotech specifically, then they can take a look at uh, the indicators of compromise that we identified uh, in the loader and also during Emetet's initialization process. It's possible that if you block access, read access to the registry key, the Emetet won't run uh, at all uh, because it won't, it will fail that uh, registry check um, and it won't initialize. However, um, it's worth saying that. This is, you know, it's it's technically possible, but whether it's suitable to be deployed out to an entire enterprise is an open question, because we know this Registry key is also used uh, by other programs.
0: Now, when you consider the overall sophistication of Emotet, where does it rank? Yeah, so Emotet's operators
1: definitely rank in the top echelons of e-crime groups today. Um, so they're notable for the scale of their campaigns, We actually saw, you know, Emotet being responsible for the infection of uh, US municipalities uh, over the last couple of months. And so it clearly shows that the operators of Emotet as a loader and uh, the people possibly buying into the Emotet botnet have specifically targeted uh, local governments, US local government to maximize the returns through ransomware campaigns, right. so in terms of impact, they are very sophisticated.
0: Yeah, and and that shift in business model has really uh, enabled uh, a diversity in, in what it can be used for. Like like we said, it was originally a banking trojan, and now you know recent uses involve uh, ransomware.
1: Yeah, I think it just goes to show that if you're an actor, malicious actor. Uh, It's not enough to develop your own malware. You need a way to distribute it. And you can either spend all this time and money developing your own infrastructure, or nowadays you can just buy or rent somebody else's infrastructure.
0: Our thanks to Alex Holland from Bromium for joining us. The research is titled Emotet, a technical analysis of the destructive polymorphic malware. We'll have a link in the show notes. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk.